Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. So this is from Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors came from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I'm going to... Do that now. We're going to listen carefully to what the Lord says through Peter at Pentecost together. Let's just invite the Spirit as we think about Pentecost this evening. Lord, we thank you that we remember today you pouring out the Holy Spirit. The church coming alive, being empowered to live for you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us now to listen, to hear your word and to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be thinking about and speaking about Pentecost this evening before we then respond and wait on the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit to move. And uh, in case you're not sure where we are today, we're 50 days after Easter and 10 days after Ascension. And it's a time of waiting and praying and expectancy that we've just Uh, had. And lots of us were at the prayer meeting on Tuesday as part of Thy Kingdom Come, a global prayer movement between Ascension and Pentecost, where we say, come Holy Spirit, Thy Kingdom come to God, Your Kingdom come. And we've been praying as well for five people who we know that don't know Jesus to come to know Him. And at the first Pentecost, the disciples, along with the rest of the Jewish nation, were gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost, which was known as the Feast of Weeks. It existed before uh, Jesus, before Christianity, and it celebrated the first wheat harvest. So it was a big festival that people were around for. And as I've been uh, preparing this and thinking about what God would have me say today, I've been using a variety of different good sources. One of those is Bible Project. We all know and love, lots of us know and love the Bible Project. If you do, just go, hmm. Yes, it's a very good source. And it helpfully describes Pentecost here. 
Pentecost is a long-standing Jewish harvest party and a Christian celebration as old as Jesus' church and it's from the Greek word meaning 50th. And the Pentecost moment described in the New Testament is a first century event in Jerusalem where people's heads caught fire, sort of. The spirit rested on people. At this event, an indoor windstorm swirled through a packed house party and everyone was baffled and some panicked. And then the guys with fiery heads became spontaneously multilingual and proclaimed God's glory to all who were around, visiting from loads of different nations. And we even celebrated that this morning. If you want to listen again to another talk on Pentecost, listen to Dave's from this morning. Uh, And we had the church, wider church, worshipping God in their own languages as well, representing all that we have at St. George's. So listen back to that if you want another reminder of Pentecost. Now, when we get to this and there's fire and there's this kind of wind storm, this might strike us as new or something different. But in the Hebrew Bible, this has happened before. Mysterious windstorms with fire or lightning are consistently associated with two things, God's presence and the formation of a temple. So this isn't new to the first readers of scriptures or to the Jewish people experiencing it, although it will have taken a while for them to join the dots. We've just been journeying as an 1830 congregation through Exodus, so lots of us have been reading that through. And also, one of the things that we felt God saying to us this year as a church is to press into the presence of God. So it's really fitting that we arrive at Pentecost this year to remember that we journeyed with Moses meeting Yahweh, God, in the burning bush in Exodus 3 in fire. In Exodus 19 to 20, where Yahweh, God, meets God's people at Mount Sinai and gives the commandments, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And in Exodus 40, the presence of Yahweh, the presence of God, rests over the tabernacle, the temporary temple of the Lord, in fire and in cloud. So this physical manifestation and what it represents and points to is not new, although it might be new to us. So the divine fire has previously rested on Yahweh's temple spaces, the places where Yahweh, where God says, I am going to dwell here. So where does it rest on the first Pentecost? Well, if you've got a device or your Bible open Acts 2, you'll see, as we did in the passage, that it now rests on God's people. Flame like tongues of fire rested on the disciples, and they were empowered to proclaim God's praises. And then we see throughout the rest of the New Testament that God's people are described as a living temple. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That this spirit, God's spirit dwells in your midst. You together are God's temple. We, each of us here who trust in Jesus, are a walking, talking temple, dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, God's presence, a living stone built together to show God's presence to the world. That's what's being established at Pentecost. And this is a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, when Peter steps forward and explains what's going on. He says this was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the people who heard that first Pentecost sermon Their hearts were pierced and they said, what should we do in response to this? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then... 3,000 people responded and came to faith and the church grew and began to spread. The temple of God grew and began to spread among the nations. But what does this mean for us? What does the Holy Spirit being poured out mean for us? Well, I'm gonna speak tonight about power, about gifts, and about love. The first two a bit shorter and then we're gonna... Uh, dwell for a bit in love. So the Holy Spirit brought power to God's people. That was the promise uh, in before Jesus ascended. He said to his disciples, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This was the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus had to ascend that the Spirit would be poured out. We see that, them empowered to speak different languages and proclaim God's glory. The disciples were empowered to preach the gospel like Peter, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to pray and praise and prophesy. And that's the same for us today when the Spirit is poured out on us when we're filled with the Spirit. We are clothed with power in order to continue the work of the kingdom of God that Jesus launched in his life. Now, when we think about power today, we often think about influence. Uh, The power that's being spoken about in Pentecost, I think, has a bit to do with kind of cosmic power, kind of objective cosmic power in the world, in the universe that God uh, gives and God owns. But we also see power at work in our world today in the form of influence. Whether that's through positional power or a role that someone holds, kind of relational influence that people have in different uh, relational circles, 
or experiential power if someone's done something or been known for something for a long time. They have influence and power there. And that can be used for good, to empower others, to serve others, and to kind of have a good ripple effect in the world. Or it can be used for selfish gain, to dominate, to control, to inflate one's sense of ego and importance. And there's a spectrum there. It's not entirely one or the other that we see. But God shares his cosmic power with humanity from the beginning. It's his intention. We prayed already for us being wise stewards of the earth, to steward the earth, to bless the world. But humanity's inclination, our inclination, without the Spirit, is to seek power for ourselves. Don't you if you find this, if we're really honest with ourselves before God. And some of us might have suffered the consequences of that. Someone misusing power in an interaction with us. Or some of us are guilty of misusing power ourselves in little ways and big ways. But the Spirit empowers us to operate in a kingdom way in the world, humbly partnering with God in the renewal of all things. And we learn how God intends power and influence to be used in the life of Jesus, the upside-down way of the kingdom of God, to serve, to glorify Yahweh as the one creator, loving God, of the cosmos, to point people towards him. The Holy Spirit empowers us in what we might understand as the supernatural, in the miraculous, in healing, in hearing God's voice, although the early church wouldn't have had that kind of dichotomy or distinction between secular and sacred and natural and supernatural in quite the way that we do now. And the power of God is evidenced as well in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in the gifts of the Spirit. So this Pentecost, how are we using the power that God gives us to bless others, to equip others? You might want to think about that as you enter into your Monday morning tomorrow or your Tuesday if you've got the bank holiday off wherever you want to be on Tuesday. Secondly, gifts. The Spirit of God pours out gifts on his church. And there's a list up here. There's various lists that aren't exhaustive in the Bible. There's plenty of lists there that begin to point us to the type of gifts that the Spirit pours out on his church. Some of you might recognize those that might be a bit newer for some of us, and we practice the gifts of the Spirit in St. George's. We believe they are to be known and used today. And the gifts of the Spirit are to build up, or another kind of fancy Bible word is edify, to build up the believer and the church in their faith and in following Jesus and blessing the world. And they're to demonstrate God's power and love in the world as well. Another thing we learned this morning, and I was reminded of this morning from Dave, is that gifts, when we're given a gift, it's to be enjoyed and used for the purpose that it is given. Um, And I've got in my notes here um, two things. Encanto versus socks. Stay with me. And um, like 
unboxing online. So I'm going to talk about these things with gifts. So um, there's practical gifts, there's people gifts, and they're always for the benefit of the whole. And I sometimes think we still treat the spiritual gifts, gifts of the spirit, um, in a sort of like we do if people watch the unboxing of products online. Has anyone done this? Some people have, yeah. Hope people aren't going to pretend they're like, actually, I'm above watching unboxing. <laughs> I've watched an unboxing, guys. But, but the camera is pointed at the person, and there's this whole kind of drama about unboxing the thing and taking it out and reviewing it. And it's just very self still, rather than, I don't know, a video of the, the thing being used for what it is and how it's blessing other people. It's just very introspective still. And that's not what the spiritual gifts are for. They bless us, but it's not what they're for. We're not supposed to say, I'm so great at hearing from God. Or when I pray for healing, things happen. Or I'm an apostle or a prophet. Look at me. That's not what the gifts are for. It's to bless the world and to build up the church. And then Encanto versus Socks um, was just this thought that I had. So in Encanto, the Disney film, who's seen Encanto? Wave at me. Thank you so much. Fewer than I thought. If you haven't, it's a great film. In Encanto, um, set in kind of Latin America and all of that kind of philosophy and uh, worldview, and the, this magical family, each member of the family receives a gift. And to be fair, those gifts are to bless the whole family. But in the Encanto thing, each person has an individual gift that no one else has. And um, so there's sort of a comparison thing happening. And if one person has the gift, it means that someone else will have a different gift and never, they won't meet. Whereas in the kingdom of God, lots of people have lots of spiritual gifts that are to be used. And so we need to not compare ourselves to others with spiritual gifts, but get around practicing them and using them in the kingdom of God. So I just compared that to like socks. So every year, my brother or my dad will, it's normally a guy thing, but I think we should just extend the practical gifts for everyone. Uh, they get socks for like Christmas, because you need them, and you're going to use them straight away. They can be novelty socks, they could be fun, you know? But um, so, you know, everyone, most people wear socks, you know, or sometimes people wear like slip-on shoes without socks, and I'm like, how do you manage that? Um, but the spiritual gifts are to be used, they're practical, even if they're kind of spiritual in the way we think about them, they're to be used and worn, and sometimes unseen and to edify other people. So do you recognize any of these gifts in your life or in others? Are you encouraging others in them? Are you practicing them? Are we using them as a church to bless others in the world and to draw people to God? Because that's what they're for. And then finally, I want to talk about love. And we see in um, the next slide from Romans 5, one of the things that we read in Scripture, particularly and as our experience of the Holy Spirit, is that it helps us to know and understand experientially that we are loved by God. It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That poured is a kind of active word. We can imagine something being poured out. It's not kind of just a trickle or a drip. It's being poured out. If I had my you know, props here, I would be pouring water everywhere but that could get messy, so I won't. So yes, the Holy Spirit is a gift to be enjoyed and used, and there are gifts of the Spirit, and we receive power from God to live his risen life. 
But we can still end up, I think, being quite mechanical about the Holy Spirit or kind of transactional. You get a gift, you use it, and you kind of pass it on, and that's great, and we're all very humble about it. Um, but as I was preparing for this, I was really struck by an article by uh, a woman called Lucy Pepiat. She's a theologian based down south in the UK. I really encourage you to listen to podcasts or anything that she's done. She's a biblical scholar. And um, she's written about how Pentecost shows us as much as, if not more than anything, about God's love for the world and for us for his church, for all of us. She says, the church received many gifts on that day of Pentecost. But the gift that empowered them the most, if we just go back one to the last slide, because that's my little, there we go. Uh, Yeah, great, we'll leave on there for a bit. The church received many gifts that day, but the gift that empowered them the most was not the signs and wonders, but the love of God poured out into their hearts. This was the gift that underpinned all the others, without which, as Paul later writes, the other gifts are just empty, sort of clanging, noisy sounds, as we read in 1 Corinthians 13. It's all just a lot of noise without the love of God. Now, initially, the the text that we've read today about Pentecost doesn't explicitly talk about Pentecost as an outpouring of God's love, although Paul and others do later on. But we see the impact of the outpouring of the Spirit immediately in the communal life of the church, where we read, after that day, they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They lived lives of radical generosity, going against the grain of the culture. And that's noted in the historical writing of the time as well, about the countercultural love and service in the early church. So second century philosopher turned evangelist, Justin Martyr, sketched out Christian love in this way. He says, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else. Now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. What would it look like for St. George's to become more like this? It's not that we're not doing some of this already, but what does it look like for us to look like a people of love? But we can't do that if we don't know that we ourselves are loved by God. In Romans 8, Paul writes, the spirit you received, he's talking to the church, both as a community and as individuals. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit, we cry, Abba, 
Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We see this idea of sonship as well when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, preparing the way for him. The Spirit rests on Jesus like a dove. And those around him heard a voice from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. We see it again in the transfiguration. A heavenly voice says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. So without this becoming an individualistic sermon, I've been praying on this and feeling like God is wanting to bring us to this place of knowing how much we are loved, our belovedness. But without it being each of us individually sitting here, this is a kind of communal experience I want to invite us into. Do you know you are loved? With an undivided, unconditional love of the Father that he has poured out in the Holy Spirit. We might have different stereotypes of this in our heads or whether that's feminine or masculine or what our experiences have been of parents, but I want us to just come to the person of Jesus when we think about this and how he loved those around him. Again, Lucy Pepiat says, when God gives us the same spirit that rests on Jesus and comes from Jesus, the spirit shows us that when we are in Christ, we are also God's children. We are loved by the Father with the same love he has for his son, the same love, and become sons through the son. The Spirit speaks to our hearts in the same way, communicating the deep love of God for us as individuals. And that sons there is still appropriate language because it demonstrates the inheritance and the adoption elements from the ancient world where the firstborn son would have inherited the family inheritance. But it now applies to men and women, young and old, slave and free, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. We see this idea of the father loving and delighting in his children in the Old Testament as well. In Zephaniah 3.17, this was a key verse for me when I was a teenager, so it was interesting to see it come up again. Where it translates, the Lord is in the midst of you. He is mighty, he will save you. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I don't know whether you spend time when you're having time with God or time in your small group, resting, dwelling in the love of God. It might sound self-indulgent, but God does invite us to do that and to know that we're loved. Tim Keller, a pastor from New York who's recently died, gone to be with Jesus, he says in his book on prayer, part of the mission of the Spirit is to tell you about God's love for you his delight in you, and the fact that you are his child. These things you may know in your head, but the Holy Spirit makes them a fiery reality in your life.
The Spirit enables you to say of yourself, if someone as all-powerful as God the Creator loves me like this, delights in me, has gone to infinite lengths to save me, says he will never let me go, and is going to glorify me and make me perfect and take everything bad out of my life, if all that is true, why am I worried about anything? At a minimum, Tim Keller says, this means joy and a lack of fear and self-consciousness. And then the quote from Lucy Pepia on uh, the next slide, when God looks at us, his heart is so utterly full of love and contentment in who we are. And this loving gaze is fixed on each of us, not roaming and not restless, not looking for anything better because there is nothing better in God's sight. That doesn't mean we're better than God or we've got everything sorted, but it means that his affection is on us wholeheartedly. So I wonder what that would look like for you to live out of being loved or being beloved rather than fear. Because we read in John 1, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We need to think of this being beloved in those biblical terms of knowing God's love for us. There is something outside of us, someone who is loving us, rather than just couch it in our kind of contemporary self-love terms. If we live by fear, we often have things in our head of, I have to do this or I have to achieve this because otherwise this will happen. Or you operate out of fear of being rejected. I have to do this, otherwise I'll be rejected by people around me. Or I'll be punished in some way. Beginning to operate out of being loved by God reframes our adventure with him as I get to live like this. Explore this gift. I am enabled to. I am doing this in response to already being loved. When we live out of fear, we might have lines or stories in our head of there's not enough, there's not enough love, there's not enough peace, there's not enough joy to go around, so I have to grab what I can get. We live in comparison with others rather than collaboration. We live with limits on our imagination of what God might be able to do in our life or in the world, even in big, difficult situations. And we fear trying things because we might fail. When we live out being loved by God, there is more than enough. There is more than enough joy and peace and love in his kingdom to go around so we can rest in what he offers us. We can live in a humble confidence in ourself, not in our own achievements, but in who God has made us to be. We can have a go at things and fail because it's not the end of the world. And as we do this, I feel like God wants to just invite us to a bit of an encounter today and in the weeks to come. There's a bit of a reality check here because lots of this language is around us already, and particularly in the West, on social media, in TV shows. But it's from 
it's kind of untethered from the creator. So there's a lot of you are enough and um, you are loved. You know, you get kind of t-shirts with that, you are loved. And that implies like an article of an object. It's like, who, who loves you? And obviously we want to love one another. We want to um, champion one another. But I would just suggest that we do not have enough capacity to do that perfectly ourselves. But there is one, there is a God who does. And so let our love, being loved, come from him. We love because he first loved us. It's such a key thing to remember. We can only begin to comprehend love, self-sacrificial love like this in the West, because of our inheritance of Christianity. It doesn't work without a source. And it's costly. It costs God the Father something to love us in Christ. He gave his one and only son. And it costs us something in obedience to him. Jesus said, if you love me, to his disciples, keep my commandments. And again, what precedes that is God loves you, and he's already shown that. But there is a cost, there is a response to this. The most fitting response, where we are most free, where we can learn to walk in the spirit. So just a couple of things practically maybe, you might have heard this and think, that's great, you've told me that God loves me, but how can I know this? And it's a journey. And it's a journey that you can choose to go on or you can sort of coast and tread water at the level that you currently experience God's love. You can go quite far on that. Um, so age isn't a thing with this. I meet people who've been following Jesus for a long time and I chat to them. I'm not claiming that I know perfectly how much I'm loved by God, but I'm inviting it all the time. But I chat to people and I think, you've gone a long way without knowing that God loves you. And other people who might be even earlier in faith but just have that knowledge and experience. So just practically some things you can do. I've put read the truth, know the truth, experience the truth, speak the truth. By that I mean the things that are in scripture, in the liturgies we pray, Know the truth of who God is and how much he loves you. Um, we, you might read, you know, there's all sorts of stuff around about kind of affirmations and like speaking things over yourself. Um, and you can, you can do some of that. A lot of that is completely detached from creator God in Jesus. But if you do that biblically and you decide to put more into your life, more content into your life, which is from scripture and what Jesus says about you and what God says about you, in all sorts of ways, read it, tell other people, spend time in prayer in it, speak it to yourself in prayer, pray it over yourself. Um, that does make a difference. That needs rhythms and practices in community as well. But if you're scrolling on Instagram or TikTok for more minutes in the day, I mean, it's pretty likely that you are, or I am, then, then we are spending time going, God, remind me of your love. Spirit, tell me, remind me whose I am and who I am. Let that guide my decisions. And then we know that the Spirit is an advocate who contends for us. The Spirit is a counselor who guides us. The Spirit is the comforter who comforts us. The Spirit encourages us. Do we invite the Spirit in our day-to-day, -day, in everything we do, and as in our groups, in our friendship groups, to do that and be that?
Do we process our stuff with the Spirit and in community? One uh, pastor talks about our spiritual maturity only being able to go as far as our emotional maturity. I think that's quite tough. I was in a church in London the other week and I was preaching and they gave a lot of feedback. And so if you said anything mildly challenging, they'd all go, ooh, at me. (laughs) It was so good. But that's one of those things. And there are things in life that we're all going to experience, age and stage of different things, life transitions, deciding on jobs, relationships forming and breaking, how we use our gifts, how we relate to those who don't yet follow Jesus, but we want to witness to them really well. When things don't go our way, we don't understand, or when things weren't what we expected, when things do go how we expected them, we suddenly have to step into that new reality. Are we processing with the Holy Spirit and with the wisdom of others? Are we gaining perspective over a year, what God will do in five years, what God will do in 10 years in our lives, as the early church would find out? Are we living a life serving others and giving that love and power away? And are we obeying Jesus? If you love me, keep my commandments. Great way to stay in step with the Spirit is to be seeking God in Scripture, in our gatherings, and saying, How can I be obedient to you? And that's where we find the most freedom. So the Spirit gives us, gives you gifts and power, but all from the context of showing you the Father's love. And I don't know whether that's landing this evening or whether that will hit in a few hours or days time, but I do believe that God wants to remind us of that and for us to live out of that security and that empoweredness. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.